Well, once again, Happy New Year. And that verse, be holy for I am holy. You know, there's nothing that's greater than that call to holiness. And and really it's a call that goes out to all believers. The moment you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, there is that call upon your life to be holy, to be set apart from the things of this world. You know, and a new year is a, is a good time to reflect. Uh, I don't know if anybody of you have made any resolutions. Normally those resolutions have uh, been long forgotten by the time we get to a week into the new year. But it's a good time just to try and press reset in certain areas of our life. And, and I hope that you've already started reading the Bible through this year. Uh, if you haven't, I really encourage you just to, to start reading. You know, even if you just take the New Testament and you read a chapter a day, you'll get through the whole of the New Testament and still have time for about a hundred Psalms or so in the year. Um, just read scripture. You know, we we're just talking a short while ago about the word. Jesus saying he's the bread of life. You know, every page of scripture speaks of Jesus and we need to fill our lives continually with that bread that manner that came down from heaven for us and you know if you are in the word then it's hard to be in the world as well if you are in the world it's very hard to be in the word you know and i just encourage you um this year really just put time aside you know it's interesting if you if you look back at the last year and you think about the time you spent doing things you know the the time you spent shopping probably was greater than the time you spent reading God's word. Yeah, the time you spent driving from place to place may well have been greater than the time you spent in God's word. And we can list a whole number of other things, whatever pastime, whatever things you do in your spare time. Yeah, they're all things that are competing. Yeah, and those things are necessary parts of life, of course. But there's nothing greater. There's nothing more important for us and then to be into God's Word. We're going to start next week back in with our study in Genesis, but this morning I want to just look at, at a little bit, just the first 18 verses of Psalm 37, if you'd like to turn to Psalm 37 in your Bibles, because there's some principles, there's some lessons here that you'll see overlap beautifully with our study of Genesis, particularly looking at the life of Joseph and the trials and the difficulties that Joseph's been going through that we've been seeing. And of course, Joseph, in our study in Genesis, we've seen him now effectively raised to this position in Egypt after those two years or so in prison. Psalm 37 is a great psalm, and it has a lot to say to us, particularly at the start of a year. We're told this is a psalm of David. Why is that important? Well, because this is the voice of experience. You know, if people are going to talk to me, I kind of like to know that they know what they're talking about. We had the experience over the Christmas break of going out and buying a pram. It was a wonderful experience. It's not the kind of thing normally I'd say. I don't really like shopping very much. But it wasn't because we got to buy a pram. Joy's always made do with kind of second-hand prams or so on. Uh, and this time, because this is our last baby, it's the last one, I'm just making that very clear, um, that we, we've been saving, saving up for some months, and as part of Joy's Christmas present, I gave her some money so she could go and buy herself a new pram. So we went out to buy it. But what impressed me was the shop assistant was brilliant. The shop assistant knew answers to questions that we hadn't even thought of asking. 
And it was really good. We like people that know the answers to things. Well, this psalm is like that. David has been there. He's experienced it. He's gone through circumstances, trials, and difficulties that we can't even imagine at the point that he's writing this. You know, and this is like encouragement for the last leg of the journey. Why do I say that? Well, because this year is a very important year. I'm sure that it's not escaped your attention that it's going to be the 70th anniversary of Israel becoming a nation again in 1948. That's significant. Now, I'm not going to make a big thing, but, but some people will argue that a generation is 70 years. Okay, so that's interesting. One pastor that I was listening to was talking about the days of Noah and the fact that it will be as in the days of Noah, in the days of the Son of Man. Do you know how long the Lord waited in the days of Noah? 120 years. Do you know what happened 120 years ago? The first Zionist Congress. This is a very interesting year. Very exciting year. What is God going to do? I don't know. But Trump comes out and says that America are going to recognize Israel. recognize Jerusalem as the capital of the nation of Israel. And the world loses it. I mean, everyone around the world, it just became the news story. And people were up in arms. They just blew a gasket, didn't they? Jerusalem is a very important place in God's plan. We've talked a lot about that already. And this year, I'm sure we're going to see far more of these things develop. But this psalm, again, it's great encouragement as we now really are in this last leg of the journey. And the psalm contrasts the saved and the perishing, something that we need to have in our minds as we look at this world in which we're living. First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 13 says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But it's us which are saved. It's the power of God. You see, there's just two types of people. There's those who are perishing and those who are saved. It's as simple as that. So we jump into this psalm, Psalm 37, verse 1. Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. Look at that first opening there. Fret not thyself. You know, we've got to accept the reality that it is a fallen world. And you see all sorts of emails going around from Christians, you know, lamenting the state of the world and something's happened and, you know, we're moving further away from God. Yeah, that's the way it is. Don't fret yourself because of evildoers. These are all signs of the times that we're living in. Yeah, this psalm's going to be talking quite a lot about this whole idea of fret not. It's literally just don't worry. God is in control. And notice the second command here, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. You know, don't desire to be part of this world. It goes back to what we were saying earlier about being holy, for God is holy. You know, it's very easy to look at the world, to look at the supposed success or joy or pleasure that they seem to enjoy and think that there's something in that. But it's not, it's emptiness. It's just emptiness. If you don't believe me, try it, but you will find it's empty. The only thing you do go and try it. What I'm saying is it will not satisfy. The devil's very good at making promises that he can't fulfill. We see that right back in the Garden of Eden. Look at the result of Eve taking of that fruit. Did it bring her 
the knowledge, the wisdom, the joy that she thought it was going to? Was it that pleasure that she thought as she looked at that fruit and saw that it was good to eat? No. It was bitterness. So don't be envious of the workers of iniquity, the supposed success or anything else. I just want to read a quote by one of the old theologians, John Trapp. He said this, Queen Elizabeth, this is the first Queen Elizabeth, envied the milkmaid when she was in prison. But if she had known what a glorious reign she should have had afterwards for 44 years, she would not have envied her. And as little needeth a godly man, though in misery, to envy a wicked man in the rough of all his prosperity and jollity, considering what he has in hand, much more what he has in hope. You know, you, you look at the world, look at what they think they've got. Consider what you've already got because of the promises of God. A couple of years back, the sermons were on the website. We did a, a three-week study looking at the promises of God as we started a year. It might be worth it if you want to go back and review those because there's a lot in there to, to give us hope, to realize that God's promises really are sure. We can trust them. So again, fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like grass and wither as a green herb. Well, there's another good reason not to follow them. Now, this is that both of the commands that were given in that first verse are now justified in the second because of what is going to happen to the workers of iniquity. We are on the home run. Notice that soon that's there. And again, just consider Joseph in his plight. You know, those, those two years or so that he spent in prison, his trust was in God. You know, he could see a, a bigger picture. He, he recognized that God was doing something and never gave up his trust. Galatians 6, 8 through 9 reads, For he that sows to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that sows to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap everlasting life. For let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Another promise there. You know, sowing to the flesh, by the way, includes calculating in the natural realm. Just thinking about the world and the things that we have to do, the natural life. Considering the circumstances. We use that phrase, don't we, in our conversation. How I, oh, considering the circumstances. But, you know, even if we are considering the circumstances, we're moving into the realm of the flesh. We're sowing to the flesh. Or being sensible. Isn't that one that we hear so often? Oh, we have to be sensible. What people mean normally when they say that is that you mustn't be godly. That's not going to work. It's not going to help you. Well, it couldn't be further from the truth. Of course, being godly is the best thing we can be. Being sensible really is simply relying on earthly wisdom. It's sowing to the flesh once again. And being practical. (laughs) Well, that's really just trusting in the flesh. It's, It's a lack of trusting God. We'll talk a bit more about trust in a moment. But you see, the harvest is coming. Notice verse 2 again. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. We're coming to that season. We're from an agricultural perspective in, the, in the, the psalm here. The harvest time is approaching. And for us now, the harvest is approaching. We know that the tares are being gathered together into bundles. And when that happens... It won't be long after that the wheat are gathered into his barn. 
Matthew 13, we read, Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while the men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. When the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, and then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, did thou not sow good seed in thy field? From whence then has it tares? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, Will thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather you together first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. You know, these wheat and the tares... You know, there are wheat and tares in the field. And I think very much in these parables we see a picture of the church. Even within the church, not let alone the world, we see wheat and we see tares. But it's not our job to uproot them. In the time of the harvest, again, those tares are going to be gathered into bundles first. And then the wheat are going to be gathered into his barn. You know, the interesting thing is, the tares that are referred to here, they look just like the wheat. They grow in Israel. This particular plant. And it's not until it gets to the harvest time that you see the difference between, because with the wheat, the head of the, the stalk is so heavy that it bows its head. The tares remain bolt upright, as if proud. What a great picture of those that are serving the Lord and those that are serving themselves. Verse 3 says, Trust in the Lord and do good, so shall thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. What an important statement, trust in the Lord. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6 read, Trust in the Lord with all thy heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. Why does God say that? Because he recognizes, he knows our hearts better than we know our hearts. And he knows our hearts are deceitful, they're deceptive. Our hearts will always yearn for the sensible, the practical, the the common sense solutions, or what we think is best for us. God says, in all thy ways acknowledge him. And he should direct thy paths. That's such a great verse for any time of our lives, but particularly as we go into this new year. Job 13, verse 15. What a statement of faith this is. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Well, that really is trusting in the Lord with all your heart, not relying on your own understanding. Job says, you know what? I know that God is good. Even if God were to kill me, I'll trust him. What a statement. Job says God is so good that there's nothing that God can do that is not good. So I'm just going to surrender all to him. Let him have his way. Trust in the Lord and do good. You know, there is a, a second part of that. It's not just trusting the Lord. It is doing good as well. That is the, the life of faith. Faith without works is dead. So shall thou dwell in the land of very thou shall be fed. Psalm 119, verse 68, Thou art good and doest good. Teach me thy statutes, we read there. And in Romans 3, we have this kind of contrast because we're told, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understands. There is none that seeks after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that does good, no, not one. So we have this psalm that's telling us here that we should do good, and yet we've got scripture saying that there is no one that does good. It's kind of a, contradiction in one sense 
But of course, we find the answer, as always in Scripture. Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. See, that's, that's the straight away, that's part of the answer. That we're dead, and yet we're alive. And then Paul makes it clear. He says, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul makes it very clear. There is an old life. That old life is corrupt. That old life cannot do anything good. But that new life that is in us, that is placed there by God, well, we read in Romans 15, now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. It's not your power. It's not your ability. It's not a New Year's resolution. And I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness. This is the same Paul that said that in our flesh dwells no good thing. But now he's saying, he's persuaded that because of the Holy Spirit, because of what the Holy Spirit does in us, that we're full of goodness. It comes back to the communion we celebrated. That Jesus took all of our iniquity, all of that, that filth and the, everything that was abhorrent to God. Jesus took upon himself and in exchange has given us his goodness, his righteousness. You are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to admonish one another. What a lovely statement that is. That in a body of believers, we should be able to admonish. That's encouraging one another to be more godly. Reading Galatians 5. Well-known scripture, verse 22 to 25. But the fruit of the Spirit, this is what the Spirit works in us, is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. And against those, there is no law. There is no limit. There is no cap on how much you can have. They that our Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let's also walk in the Spirit. What a lovely way to, to live our lives. Allowing God's life that he's placed in us just to come to the fore. So we can do good, not because we are good, but because he is good. And as we trust in him and as we walk in the way, God will enable us to do all sorts of incredible things. Scripture is full of promises of what God will do in us and through us. And notice, so shall thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. First of all, dwelling in the land is interesting because, of course, in Abraham's time, we see this famine. We've seen this already in our study in Genesis. You know, and and rather than trust or seek God, because there's no suggestion that Abraham goes to God to ask him what he should do. Abraham just goes down into Egypt, always symbolic in a type of the flesh. As a result, Sarah is taken into the harem, and as a result of that, when Abraham and Sarah leave, they take a handmaid with them, Hagar. becomes a real problem, not just for Abraham and Sarah, but for their descendants ever since. That's why we need to dwell in the land. Even if things seem difficult, it's just that trust again. Hebrews 13.5 says, Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. God isn't about to abandon us just because it looks difficult, because the, the skies don't allow the rain to fall. 
as it was in Abraham's time. God wasn't about to go back on the promises he'd given to Abraham. If Abraham had stayed in the land of Canaan, God would have provided for him there. Psalm 31, verse 19 says, Oh, how great is thy goodness, which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee, which thou hast wrought for them that trust in thee before the sons of men. You know, talking about doing good, what a, a good thing it is when the sons of men, the people of this world, look at us and they see that we trust God. That's a really good thing. Because there's a lot of people out there that don't know what to trust or who to trust. And they should be able to look at you and I and see that we have this trust in God. Regardless of the... We're not, it's not about the answers. It's about knowing the one who has the answers. Again, those promises of God, do we really, really, truly believe them? To read this to you from John Piper. He says, The taproot out of which sprouts all the weeds of sin is the taproot of unbelief in the promises of God. When you trust or believe in a promise of God, you glorify God. In fact, trusting somebody's promise is the most fundamental honor you can do that person. The reverse is also true. The greatest contentment that you can bring down upon a person is to say to them, I can't trust you. So when we don't trust the promise of God, we bring contempt upon him. We give him a vote of no confidence. Verse 4, delight thyself also in the Lord and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Now, before you start thinking, well, therefore, I'm going to trust God, I'm going to delight myself in, the God, in, in God and I'll be able to get that Ferrari. That's not what this is saying. This is not an open checkbook for you to say, well, if you love God, if you, if you delight yourself in God, you can have whatever you want. That's not what it's saying at all. Remember Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? God is not so foolish as to say, well, if you delight yourself in me, you can have anything. Because if we were given that kind of resource, we would waste it. We would squander it on the fleshly things. No, no, no. This is saying something very different. It's saying, if you delight yourself in God, he will place within you the desires of your heart, the right desires. In other words, the desires of your heart will be the ones that God gives you. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. They will no longer be your own desires, which will lead you to all sorts of problems and heartbreak, and so on. There will be godly desires, which will be the right desires for your life, and they'll be the ones that glorify him. And then we're told, commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Now again, Proverbs 20, verse 24, man's goings are of the Lord. How can a man then understand his own way? You see, it's foolishness for us to try and set out and chart a course for ourselves through life. But we're only going to run into to problems. Now we need to trust God. You know, don't map it out and then ask God to bless it. You know, so many people do that. They come up with their plan of what God is going to do or they think God is going to do. Or, or worse still, they come up with their own plan of what they think is best for their life and they say, God, will you please bless this? I was church some years ago. The, the beginning of a year, 
came up with a, a, a five-year growth plan for their church. And then they took it to the Lord to ask God to bless it. <laughs> I'm not sure how that's going. That's not the way we do it. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. We start with God first, not with our own ideas and, and so on. Now, this group of verses, three to six, ends and says, And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and thy judgment as the noonday. Notice at the beginning of that, verse six, and. So this is connecting all of this together. And he shall bring forth thy righteousness. In other words, God is going to make you righteous. What is it that we're saying is our, our theme for the year is be holy because God is holy. How can we be holy? How can we be righteous? Well, this tells us. There's a wonderful pattern that we see here that is actually mirrored a number of times in Scripture. First of all, trust in the Lord. Secondly, delight yourself also in the Lord. Thirdly, commit your way to the Lord. And the consequence of doing those three things is that God will bring forth righteousness in your life. Let's unpack this a little bit more. Because it's, just, it's saying that he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light and thy judgment as the noonday. In other words, you know, the sunrise, you can't stop that process. You know, the sun is going to come up in the morning and it sets in the evening. And David here is saying, if you trust in God, if you delight yourself in him, if you commit your way to him, the outworking of that, just as the process of the sun rising and setting, will be that God will bring forth righteousness in your life. Now, we see it, of course, in these verses here. But I want to show you where else this occurs in Scripture, because you start to see that this is a common theme, an instruction to us, in a sense. Let's just look again. Trust in the Lord, delight yourself in the Lord, commit your way to the Lord. In Exodus and also in Leviticus, we see the same kind of thing a number of times. So I'll just read to you from Leviticus. From Leviticus, say, and he brought the other ram, the ram of consecration, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands upon the head of the ram, and he slew it. And Moses took of the blood of it and put it upon the tip of the right ear, and upon the thumb of his right hand, and upon the great toe of his right foot. And he brought Aaron and his sons, and Moses put of the blood upon the tip of their right ear, and upon the thumbs of their right hands, and upon the great toes of their right feet. And Moses sprinkled the blood upon the altar round about. Leviticus 14, 14, we read, And the priest shall take some of the blood of the trespass offering, and the priest shall put it upon the tip of the right ear of him that is to be cleansed, and upon the thumb of his right hand, and upon the great toe of his right foot. This this same idea, again, we see a number of times in the Torah. You see, the tip of the right ear speaks of our hearing, our thought life. The thumb of the right hand, it speaks of our work, the thing we set our hands to. And then the, the toe obviously speaks of our walk, the path that we tread. Do you see in all of these our hearing, our thought life, trusting in the Lord? The word, the things we set our hands to, or it's delighting ourselves in the Lord. And the path that we tread, that's committing our way to him. This same pattern. In Deuteronomy, a verse you're familiar with probably now therefore hearken O israel unto the statutes unto the judgments which i teach you for to do them that you may live and go in and possess the land which the lord god of thy fathers gives you there's a statement that moses makes to the nation as they're about to go in and, and take the land notice 
Firstly, listen, think. Hearing with the intent of obeying. And then it's to do the statutes and the judgments. That's action on our part. That you may live. Again, that's that path that we tread. Once again, trusting in the Lord. That's all to do with that hearing with the intent to obey. Delighting yourself. That's the action. And again, the path that we tread, committing our way to the Lord. We see it in the New Testament also. These are just some, there's many examples we could give you of this. Something we're very familiar with, of course, what we refer to often as the Lord's Prayer. More specifically, it's the disciples' prayer that Jesus gives them to pray. After this manner, therefore, pray ye. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. The first thing we're to pray is our Father. Maybe sometime we're going to do a study on this because I just love, there's so much in this. You can't pray this without praying our stuff to start with. Whenever you pray this prayer, and this is a model of how we should pray, we're reminded that we are part of a body of believers. Straight away we're reminded that you're not alone, you're not on your own. The challenges, the difficulties, the struggles we go through are the same as every other believer. What a great comfort that is. Sometimes we just need to be reminded of that. And Jesus gives it straight away in his prayer. And then we're reminded that God is a father. He's a good father. We sang that song this morning. Then we're reminded that God is in heaven. God's ways are above our ways. He sees things from a totally different perspective than we see. God is outside of time. To say we could spend all morning looking at this, but... Firstly, we're reminded that God is our Father in heaven. And then we're to pray, thy kingdom come. That's speaking of the things of God. And finally, we get to our bit. The bit that normally we start with. Normally we start with, Lord, I need, and da, 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 off we go. And God says, no, no, no. You get your focus on me first. Seek first the kingdom of God. And we finally we come to our needs. You see, first of all, in this prayer, we're exhorted to trust in the Lord, to be reminded that our Father is in heaven, and hallowed should be his name. And then we're reminded that we're to delight ourselves in the things of God. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And finally, we get to committing our way. Give us this day our daily bread. You see, All of this, again, is that process. Trusting in the Lord, delighting in the Lord, committing your way to the Lord. The natural or supernatural outworking of that is that God will bring forth in your life righteousness. And remember again that verse we quoted from Hebrews earlier, that without holiness no one will see the Lord. You know, we'll be praying again this year, and no doubt at some point fasting for our unsafe loved ones. Well, if we're not holy, just using process of deduction, looking at what we're told in Scripture, they're not going to see the Lord. Not, not through our lives, at least. But if we are set apart for God, if God does work this righteousness in us, this incredible gift that we get given, others will see it. They'll be challenged. I remember hearing an account, and I forget the evangelist, it may have been moody, but one of those was uh, on the train going through somewhere in Canada, I believe. 
And as his train passed through the town, the report is that people that were in the local bars just fell to their knees and repented. Such a move of God. He didn't even get off the train and go and preach to people. God can do all sorts of impossible things as we were singing this morning if we just trust him. And then we're told, rest in the Lord, wait patiently for him. Uh, this is so important. Fret not thyself because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked devices to pass. Therefore take no thought saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after these things do the Gentiles seek. For the Heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. We, we sometimes think that God's forgotten, don't we? Some of the things that we need. But seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. What a beautiful summary that is of a life that is resting in the Lord. You know, we, we, we worry so much about so many things. And yet David here, after going through all that he's gone through in his life, the challenges that he's had, seeing his family torn apart through his own son, through Absalom. Having spent many years fleeing for his life, having disobeyed God and entered into an adulterous relationship with Bathsheba, only then to have that child die. David now says that we should rest in the Lord. He's kind of come to that place of really trusting in God. Philippians 4.19, again, just an echo of this, says, My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Not God will supply all that you're wanting. But, you know, if we're delighting ourselves in the Lord, well, our wants get to put to one side. If, we, if he is giving us the desires of our hearts, all that we really want is the things that God wants anyway. Philippians 4, 6 and 7, Be careful, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ. We all need that peace as we go into this year. Whatever the situation we're in right now, just looking at the world out that's out there, the turmoil that's out there. We need that peace. Ephesians 3, 20 to 21, now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. You know, you can't outthink God in terms of the provision and the blessings he can pour upon you. According to the power that works in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus. You know, the Lord wants to look at the church and go, there, see. We're told that God's wisdom is manifest by the very existence of the church. Sometimes we're a very poor reflection of what we should be. But most of that is down to a lack of trust. Again, I quoted Oswald Chambers many times this particular quote, but if God is the God we know him to be when we are closest to him, what an impertinence worry is so easy to fall into that trap of worrying and not resting in the Lord, not having that peace that we should have. But God is the same God that raised up Jesus from the dead, the same God that parted the sea for Moses, that led Gideon to victory, that strengthened David as he stood before a giant, that gave a young girl the courage to have a baby, Mary. 
That's the God that we're serving. Why do we worry? Again, rest in the Lord and we're told, wait patiently for him. And once again, we're given another one of these fret knots. And so often, we go, what should we do about? Again, it comes back to that practical. You know, we've got to think practical, be sensible. All those kind of ideas, they're all sowing to the flesh. Paul's response is this. After these things were ended, Paul purposed in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Acacia to go to Jerusalem saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. So he sent me to Macedonia, two of them, they ministered unto him, Timothy and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a season. At the same time, there arose no small stir about that way, that Christianity. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, which made silver shrines for Diana, brought no small gain unto the craftsmen. She was making them very rich. And we called together with the workmen of like occupation and said, Sirs, you know that by this craft we have our wealth. So they got a little huddled together of all the people that were doing the same thing, making these little silver shrines, these these, um, um, idols. Moreover, you see and hear that not alone in Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away much people, saying that they be no gods which are made with hands. I mean, that's just a bizarre statement. How can anybody just say that seriously? You know, these things that we've made, you know, that we've got out of the fire, we've molded and so on. He's saying that they're not really a god. How can that be? So that not only this, our craft is in danger to be said at naught, but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised. If people realize that these little things aren't really gods, they might even stop worshiping Diana herself. And her magnificence should be destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worships. And when the town clerk had appeased the people, he said, for you have brought hither these men, which are neither robbers of churches, nor yet blasphemers of your goddess. Uh, just look at what Paul's response is. This is a summary. He didn't panic because pagan idols were being sold. He didn't kind of call a, a prayer march. I think around Ephesus, trying to bring down the stronghold of Diana of the Ephesians. He didn't start binding territorial spirits or this nonsense that gets banded about. He just preached the gospel. All he did. Say all. That's powerful. See, what should our response be? Well, don't fret because of evildoers. Carry on preaching in season, out of season. Understand that these things must be when we see what's going on in the world. Don't fret because of evildoers. It's going to be the way it's going to be. We just keep preaching the gospel. You know, we've got to understand the nature of the spiritual battle that we're in and learn to use the armor that we've been given in Ephesians 6. Again, 2 Corinthians reminds us that we walk in the flesh, but we don't war after the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Matthew 18, 7 says, Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come. Jesus himself says, it's going to happen. Things are going to get worse. Of course, I'm not saying that we shouldn't stand up for the truth, stand up for God's word. Of course we should. But let's not panic, let's not worry. 
when our government passes laws that are contrary to Scripture. Let's not think that it's all over. That's part of the process that's going to happen. Jesus says, woe to that man by whom the offense comes. God will deal with those things. 2 Timothy says, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. We should expect it. We should be ready. This year we're going to see all sorts of abominations going on in this world. For men shall be lovers of selfies, as I like to put it's true, isn't it? I mean, you see, they're so obsessed with themselves. Men should be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truth breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. That's the world that's what we should expect so again rest in the lord wait patiently for him don't fret yourself because of him that prospers in his way because of the man who brings wicked devices to pass that's going to happen cease from anger and forsake wrath fret not thyself in any wise to do evil we're told in ephesians let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind one to another tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Again, cease from anger, forsake wrath. Fret not, once again. Uh, you see, worry, Bill Gallatin, one of the Calvary pastors, says this, worry is assuming responsibility for something God never intended us to have responsibility for. Let me read to that once again. Worry is assuming responsibility for something God never intended us to have responsibility for. These frettings that we've seen. Well, first of all, in verse 1, fretting leads to covetousness. Verse 7, fretting leads to anger. Verse 8, fretting leads to evil. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. You know, there's a lot more of this, but I'm going to stop here. Uh, and maybe we'll come back to this next week. We'll maybe delay Genesis one week um, because there's a lot more that's probably worth going through. But this is a good point just to, to leave it on. You know, the evildoers that are out there, the things that are going on in the world, it's going to happen. They're going to be cut off. The Lord's going to deal with it. Those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. And once again, this is called to trust God. Regardless of the circumstance, regardless of what goes on in the world, regardless of what goes on in our own lives, our own circumstances, it's just trusting God. Let me just remind you again of that collection of verses we saw earlier. To trust in the Lord, to delight yourself in the Lord. Let's go back to that. Trust in the Lord, delight yourself in the Lord, and commit your way unto the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, as we... As a fellowship, start this year together, Lord. We just ask that you would help us to to step out into this year in faith and in trust of you. The Lord, that you would help us to rest in you. Lord, to know that peace that passes understanding. Lord, help us not to worry about things that are not our domain to worry about. But Lord, to remember that you are on the throne. 
that you are God in heaven. And here we on earth. So Lord, as your word says, let our words be few. Lord, be continue reminding us that you are a good, good father. And Lord, as we were singing earlier, look, again we'd be reminded that all things do work together for the good of those that love you. And that, Lord, you can do impossible things. So, Lord, help us to trust you. And transform us, we pray, by the renewing of our minds. That we truly can be holy because you are holy. As you do that work in us, that work of sanctification through your spirit. Oh, Father, just give us as a fellowship a greater love for each other than we've ever known. And just, Lord, have your way among us. Whatever you want to do in us and through us. Lord, give us the desires that you want us to have, that you would be glorified. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. May God richly bless you through this coming week.